You are listening to A Scary State, and this week we're covering Queensland, Australia. So, Mackenzie? Yes, Lauren? Let's get scary. G'day, mate. Oh my, I knew it. I was waiting. <laughs> How many times that accent comes out this episode? <laughs> That's literally all I can do. I can't do, I can't do an Australian accent. Oh, I can't either. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> I can do British. I heard if you say something I... What was it? It was something if you say it in a British accent, it sounds like you're saying, good I might, in an Australian accent. But I can't remember what the words are, so that doesn't really help us. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> Do you know how long it took me to realize that the Geico Gecko was Australian? What did you think he was? British. Oh, I can see that. They so sound before, similar. Before I really knew that there was a difference in the accent. <laughs> Just, oh, someone sounds different. Yes. You may be wondering why we're doing Australia, because it's not the United States, and we are a scary state. But guess what? Australia has has states! So we're still fitting in with the scary state. Ha ha ha. And this state... Oh, did you say Queensland already? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, my bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a long week. Yeah, how did school go? Good. Both kinds of school. Well, so little ones, fun, great, adorable. The third graders. Third graders. So people know. (laughs) Day two, already love me. It's wonderful. It feels like we've been in school for four weeks already. Only been four days. <laughs> <laughs> solid start to the solid start to the year. Solid start. As for school, um, let's see. I was had class yesterday, mm-hmm. um, and so I set all the reminders in my phone that I needed to to make sure I remember to bring my laptop. I remember to park my car in the right spot so I wasn't blocked in by the buses so I could leave right away. Oh, look at that clever thinking. Mm -hmm. And I sent a reminder on my phone to grab a notebook because I didn't have one and Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go buy school supplies when I work at a school. True. (laughs) So... Set all reminders, did all that. My uh, One of my coworkers offered to dismiss my class for me wow, so that I could leave. And even though class didn't start until 5, I had no idea where I was going because for some reason oh, yeah. it was like, you don't have to go visit the campus. You'll just wing it the first day. Don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. No, I get that. Um, <laughs> and so it's the end of the day. I'm running up to get all my stuff. I go to run out of the room and one of my little ones is like, wait. Miss Mill, oh. you forgot your phone. And I was like, Oh what? my gosh. And I look over and I see my phone on my table and she runs over and she brings it back to me. I was like, You have no idea how much you just saved my life. Well, you would have gotten in your car and you would have went to type in your GPS and been like, Oh shit. Well, had a mini panic wait, attack. To like get from where my car was back to where my classroom is, like it's in the back of the school. Oh. So I would have, and it's dismissal. So I'm going upstream. Oh, yup. It would have been a mess. So. Thankfully, I didn't have to do that. But then I get halfway down the hallway and I realize, don't have my water bottle. Left it outside for recess. <laughs> Run outside. I'm not going to go back inside. I'm closer to the parking lot being on the playground than I am yeah. in the building. So I just keep going. I was like, man, okay, good. I'm so glad I have an hour. I can figure out where this is. Mm-hmm. I should probably check my email because I have no idea where I'm going. Don't even know the name of a building. Oh, my god, Nothing. I know you were so prepared. You know, I've been doing a lot, okay? <laughs> So I get on my email, I'm checking through things, trying to find it, and I see this email. I was like, oh, from my professor, great. Click. Hi, I'm your professor, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> this is a hybrid class, which means it's... Um, In person and online. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this week, it'll be asynchronous. So 
have this all done by next Wednesday. And I was like, oh. <laughs> okay. But it shows you can do it. Like, you can get out in time. Mm -hmm. It was like a test run. So I just went home. I did not go back. I was going to say you should have gone to the campus to see what that drive would have been like and to find where you're going so we don't have a repeat next week. <laughs> well, I went home and laid in bed instead. <laughs> I mean, the better option of the two, honestly. Right. So, I don't know. I'll figure it out. I'm sure you will. Maybe I'll go on Sunday. Okay. Just, you know. Just because, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Just at least know where the campus is. <laughs> that would be helpful. <laughs> I know it's close by. Good. Step one. I know it's, like, pretty much a straight shot down Little River, I think. I don't know. That sounds good. We'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> so first week of class is great. <laughs> good. Didn't even go anywhere. <laughs> Solid. Then awesome. So, yeah. That's my life. I did not have that exciting of a week. No. Oh, I did. Okay. Actually, kind of. So um, at work, we did our second annual bake-off. Ooh, yeah. The cake go. It went amazing. And I won. Woohoo! Reigning champ. Two Hell years yeah. in a row. I think I won because our resident baker was late. Uh, and all the votes were cast before he got there with his cake. So you won by default. I won. I won. And so I got a balloon, and it's great. You and got a balloon? Yeah, because we did Avengers theme, so it was either Captain America versus Iron Man. And oh. so I got an Avengers balloon. And then I get to work today, and the nice, like, legit Avengers balloon is gone. Mm. And in its place is a yellow balloon that someone wrote Avengers on. <laughs> <laughs> so now I have both balloons at my desk. Double balloon lady. You know. Um, so, yeah, next time we do our bake-off, I have to win again. Yeah. I need three three titles. Yeah. Because no. this one, I did Captain America themed, and I made the inside of the cake that when you cut into it, it looked like an American flag. That's really cool. And I did not get pictures, which is sad. But it went really quickly. SMH. I know. So. I just have to make it again. I me. will. And I'll be prepared this time because I'll know what to do. Yes. And I have to give Joe some credit. He helped me decorate the top. And I roll. <laughs> he was so upset that I didn't tell anyone at work that he had helped. Because I told my team lead and I was like, oh, yeah, like Joe helped me decorate. She goes, don't tell anyone that. Just give yourself all the credit. And I said, okay, if you say so. <laughs> so I gave myself all the credit. Love you, Joe. <laughs> so do you want to tell us about Queensland? I would love to. Um, and I would just like to give a PSA that Lauren, for some reason, decided to put some weird-ass <laughs> names of weird-ass animals in here. It's not my fault that they have weird names and they're from Australia. Yeah, but, like, you put the scientific name for a box jellyfish. <laughs> Why? <laughs> that doesn't matter. It does because it's a certain type of the jellyfish. And because that's what the notes that I read and found said. So I added them. All right. Well, it's not going to be said right. So just throwing that out there now. We're not scientists. So how do you know a scientist doesn't listen to us? I said we're not scientists. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not going to know the scientific names. Well, not only that, but we certainly can't pronounce them either. As people have already known. I can't <laughs> read. <laughs> and I can't pronounce things. So we make a great team. Woohoo! All right. So as many people probably know, although I didn't know this, so there you go, Australia was originally established as a penal colony. And no, that doesn't mean penis. It means <laughs> jail. <laughs> like the penal system. I don't know. When That's I hear penal, it sounds like penis. It does. So. Do you say penalty or penalty? What? Yeah. 
I've heard people call it a penalty. Who? I don't know, but it's weird. Yeah. I can't remember who said it, but they said a penalty, and I was like, wait, what? That might be the right way to pronounce it, but Well, it I mean, it is weird. an E. Well, no, because pen, P-E-N, pen, penalty. No, the English language sense. is weird. Uh, whatever. Okay, <laughs> at least you don't say privacy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to anyone in England who listens to us. Anyway. Um, <laughs> In 1788, the British established their first exile colony in New South Wales. Between 1788 and 1868, about 164,000 convicts had been sent to the penal colonies in Australia. See, so if you had read more when you asked me what a penal colony was earlier today, you would have seen it was the convicts. Mm. Mm. So this episode is about Queensland, as you know. (laughs) But we can't talk about Australia for the first time and not talk about all the little, little, they're not little animals. Can't talk a little. Oh. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it is clear Mackenzie does not read these notes before we record. Absolutely not. And also, it is Thursday. Unlike some people who have some miraculous thing inside of them that has all this energy on Friday, the children have sucked <laughs> all of the energy that I could possibly have that by Thursday I'm in my reserves to make it through Friday, and I'm tired. Honored that you are still able to be here with me tonight. So if I mess up a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, northern Queensland is home to most of these deadly creatures. Lauren's favorite animal, the blue ring octopus, has been found off the coast of Australia. I just love them. It is one of the most dangerous marine animals in the world. Its bite is painless, so typically the person bitten doesn't even know. And if you're able to make it to the hospital and are put on a ventilator immediately, and if you make it past the first 24 hours, you'll make a full and complete recovery. Yes, they are so creepy. There was this one video of this girl. She was in Australia or Thailand, another place where they're found. And she was playing with like a blue ring octopus and they were filming it and they're passing it to each other, not knowing that it's the most dangerous animal. Uh And so they like released it back into the water and went on with their lives. And they posted the video and people were like, do you know what you were just holding? So then she ended up on the news and stuff because people were like, you were holding the most dangerous animal. Are those the ones that like will play? They'll play? Yeah, like, I think I've seen these things where it's, like, octopus will, like, when sea divers, I can't even think of what they're called. What's the word? Scuba divers? Thank you. Scuba divers. <laughs> sea divers. Same thing. I saw this one thing on Netflix, and it was about an octopus, and, it, like, it was talking about how, like, the octopus was trying to play with his camera. Aww. So I, don't I don't know, know if it was those one. I don't know. Maybe. There you go. Well, that'd be cute, though. That would be cute. Do you think it, uh, octopus are actually aliens that came here? Yeah. Yeah, probably. They're so smart. I know. It's wild. Australia also has a host of dangerous and venomous animals. Between 1971 and 2013, saltwater crocodiles accounted for 106 fatalities. One type of box jellyfish known, <laughs> known as the Chironex fleckery. Nice. Thanks. Is described as the most lethal jellyfish in the world. But there is another type of box jellyfish Known as the Iricondigi. Okay. Okay. Jellyfish. And it's small. (laughs) Like, less than an inch in diameter. But with the tentacles, it can reach one meter or 3.3 feet. Wow, that's wild. I know. gross. Its sting has the potency of 100 cobra bites. And it's this big. And it can kill you. Australia. (laughs) Australia. The harpoon snail is known as the most venomous creature in the world, 
And they're... Why, why, why thought the jellyfish was... There are a lot of most venomous creatures. Just like there's a lot of most haunted places? Yes, exactly. (laughs) The harpoon snail is known as the most venomous creature in the world, (laughs) and there's currently no anti-venom for it. I think each article that I read was really excited that it included, like, a venomous animal, so it was like, this is the most venomous. (laughs) (laughs) It also goes by the name the cigarette snail, because you'll have time to smoke one less cigarette before you die. That's funny. That's creepy! It's kind of funny, though. (laughs) It's clever. Exactly. Specifically in Queensland, a young boy was bitten by an inland Taipan snake and spent 10 weeks in the hospital recovering. He spent months in physical therapy after that, but never gained his full mobility. I know. That's awful. You know what? I know this sounds so weird, but you know what I would absolutely love to do when you're going to think I'm so weird? I already do. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I would love to work with snakes. Why? I love snakes. You weirdo and i want to work with them so badly and i tried to type in <laughs> the other day on indeed i was like snakes and it brought me to plumbing jobs because you know like the snake it's <laughs> <laughs> like not what i meant i'm telling you right now you ever get a pet snake you will never see me again i wanted one so bad and mom wouldn't let me have one and then uh, when smart i smart woman she is and then when i moved in with joe i was like i want a snake and he goes no why can i never get a freaking snake because they're, they're cute no, they're I really like snakes. Well, you're weird. (laughs) Thank you. But more specifically about Queensland, Queensland is the second largest state in Australia at 2.5 times the size of Texas and has a population of over 4 million. It is known as the Sunshine State due to its 261 average days of sunshine every year. Oh my god, that sounds amazing. That does. Ugh, that's where I need to go. The Japukai Dance Theater in Coranda, North Queensland is in the 1997 Guinness Book of World Records for the longest-running show in Australia. It first started in May 1987 and ran until July 1996 with more than 7,000 performances and 1.2 million visitors. Mm-hmm. Women voted for the first time in a state election on May 18, 1907, and that is before the United States, for anyone keeping track. <laughs> Australia also uses metric measurements and does their dates in a day-month-year format, which also was so confusing when I was looking up my stuff. Because oh. I thought it was 2019, but then I realized it was February 19th because yep. it was just... Yep. I was confuzzled. It is very confusing. Although I guess it makes sense. Well, they going... go small, medium, large. So, like, yeah. small date, then month, then year. I mean, I feel like it's six one way, half a dozen. Half a dozen another. You're either saying the 25th of August or August 25th. Yeah. I mean, the same thing. Some of the oldest dinosaur footprints were found in the Outback town of Winton. Have you seen the movie Outback? I don't think so. Oh, my God. So it's kind of like the same vibes as, I think it was, I think I compared it to Madagascar, but. Oh. The Outback. Oh, that sounds cute. Is it like a cartoon? Yes. Oh. It's a children's movie. And <laughs> it's on Netflix. And if spiders and scorpions and snakes looked like these little guys, I would totally get one. Okay. So if there was a snake that looked like one of those, I could get it. I uh, relate so well with Nigel. Okay. I will keep that scorpion. in mind. Oh. He's a little nervous. Did you know that scorpions glow under ultraviolet light? Yes, I did. Isn't that cool? Mm, oh, sure. I think it's cool. From a distance. <laughs> yes, from a distance. <laughs> Um, there are over 100 islands off the coast of Queensland, one of these being Fraser Island, the world's largest sand island. I don't know what that meant. It was just like a big fact that they had about this island. What else were islands made of? I, I guess know. dirt. I don't know. I don't know. Far north Queensland is home to the Great Barrier Reef, the world's largest living organism. 
It reaches over 348,700 kilometers squared. It is larger than the UK, Switzerland, and Holland all combined. Australia lost a war to emus, the Great Emu War of 1932. I was talking about this at work, and um, one of my coworkers was telling me about it. I said, oh, we need to find out why. So why is because these farmers went to this one area to farm, and the em- emus, mm-hmm. emu, I don't know why I say emu, but the emus were there. And they were, like, really bad, and they were taking up all the farmland and stuff, so the farmers tried to, like, get them away. So, like, I think the military came in and was trying to get them, but their bullets weren't enough for the, like, emus, and they couldn't get them with the bullets, and they were really fast, and they ran away, and so pretty much Australia lost the war against them. Hmm. I don't think they like talking about that, but I thought it was important to include in our notes. I mean, it's interesting. It is interesting. The Devil's Pool, located near Babinda, Queensland. <laughs> I don't know if that's right, but I like that sound. Babinda. <laughs> Got its name from an old tale. A married woman named Olana fell in love with a man from another tribe named Daiga. Her husband confronted the two lovers at Devil's Pool. Not wanting to be separated from her new lover, Olana jumped into the water, expecting Daiga to follow her in. But instead, he walked away with his tribe. Indigenous legends say that, ever since, she has been luring men to this dangerous swimming hole. To make them pay for the way Daiga scorned her. Since 1959, 17 people have lost their lives here. The area is now fenced off and has an epitaph that reads, He came for a visit and stayed forever. So that's Queensland, Australia. I'm living in a land down under. <laughs> so also something in Queensland, Australia, is what I will talk about today. <laughs> Go for it, Lauren. <laughs> so brush and eucalyptus cover the area of Queensland known as the Shire of Cook. But something that doesn't seem to truly fit in towers over it all, the Black Mountains. Mm. Black Mountain Kalkajika National Park. Wow, that was impressive. Thank you. Is a 1,930-acre protected area in the Shire of Cook, Queensland, about 14 miles or 25 kilometers south of Cooktown. This is an area that, to this day, many will avoid for the tales they have heard of strange creatures, unexplained lights, UFOs, and mysterious disappearances. Mm. From a distance, Black Mountain looks just like that, a large, looming, dark mountain, but up close you can see that the whole mountain is made up of huge granite boulders, some measuring up to 20 feet, or about 6.1 meters long. These boulders have been dated back between 251 and 259 million years ago. Wow. Wikipedia describes the mountain as, quote, The softer land surfaces above the solidified magma eroded away over time, leaving the magma's fractured top to be exposed as a mountain of gray granite boulders blackened by the film of microscopic blue-green algae growing on the exposed surfaces. It's a long run-on sentence. Yes, it is. (laughs) Colder rain falling on the dark, heated granite boulders causes the boulders to progressively fracture, break, and slowly disintegrate, sometimes explosively. Oh, wow. So sometimes they just, like, explode. Due to the jumbled nature of all of these rocks, labyrinths of mazes and passages have formed and run the length of these mountains. Wind also tends to rush through these mazes, causing eerie sounds that resemble moaning, crying, screaming, wailing, and deep hissing. Oh my god. The wind also blows out a rotten smell that comes out from time to time. Ew. The Kukunu Yungal people who are native to the area call the mountain Kalkajika, which means the place of the spear. This also simply translates to the mountain of death. Okay. So it's no surprise that they shun and even avoid this mountain. The Queensland Department of Environment and Natural Resources has been advised of four sites on this mountain that are of particular mythological significance. First is the Combi. This is a large rock that houses a cave. In this cave, flying foxes can be found. What? Next is the Jolbanu. Whoa, wait. Back up. You're not going to elaborate on flying foxes? I tried to find more and I could not find anything else. Yeah. All right. 
I guess they're cute. I bet they're cute. Is there a picture? I've heard of flying squirrels. Literally never even heard of a flying They look fox. like bats. Okay. Oh, it's a genus of megabats, which are among the largest bats in the world. Oof. The difference between them. Flying foxes do not use echolocation, have large eyes, and eat fruit or nectar. So yes, that cave has those. Got it. <laughs> Next is the Julbanu. This is a large rock that is shaped like a big gray kangaroo and it looks out towards Cooktown. Then there is the Burmba. This stone faces towards Helenvale. Sulfur-crusted cockatoos are seen here. Then we have the Urimbal, which is located near the foot of the range. This one is considered to be a taboo place. And even though these places hold spiritual and religious significance, the Kuku Nyungkol still refuses. So close. I <laughs> I tried to watch a video and the lady she says it really fast. Yeah, I could not get it. Um, so they still refuse to come to these mountains. ABC produced a series called The Place, and in that video it talks about the mountains. A man and a woman both talk about the mountains and some of the legends for how the mountain was believed to be formed. So the man named Richard Ludwig tells a story that his grandfather had told him. So the story starts off with two brothers who are both giants. They had both fallen in love with the same woman. They each were going to make piles of stones. Whoever made the largest pile would win the woman. They worked day after day. One version says that they each threw a rock at the other, each rock killing the other brother, so those piles of stones are still there today. But another version says that a wild storm appeared. It was no ordinary storm, though. It rained down hundreds and hundreds of boulders. These boulders fell on the men, crushing them to death. The woman the two men had been fighting over died in a current of water that had come down from the mountain. Her cries can still be heard blowing through the mountain. That's an unfortunate ending for everybody involved. It really is, yeah. There is also a story of the last spear fight that occurred on these mountains. So remember how the mountains are called the place of the spear? I think that's where it comes from. It occurred between the black and white cockatoos. So these two cockatoos are symbols of the people who live here. The white cockatoo represents the coastal clan groups, and the black cockatoo represents the inland clan groups. They were fighting over hunting land, and in those fights, many lost their lives. Their bones still lie in the mountains. Mm. He goes on to say that the area has to be respected or you will be tormented by the spirits of the ancestors. He also says that, just like Ouija boards, this is something that you shouldn't mess around with. Oh. He said, quote, you muck around with spirits and something is going to happen. I mean, not wrong. No, not wrong at all. I think, in general, I think it's a pretty good rule. Just don't mess with Mother Earth. Yeah. We not, she's been around a lot longer than all of us. Yup. The woman interviewed, named Marie Shipton, was taught to respect the site even from a very young age, and that no one should go to the site, and that if they do, they will get very, very sick. She warned about visiting, warned about respecting it, and warned about the dangers that one will face should they actually go to the mountain. So I feel a lot of this could stem from the brutal massacre of Aboriginal people that took place here by early European settlers, because, of course, the European settlers were part of a brutal massacre. Mm -hmm. The blood spilt and the evil and death that were present always seemed to stick around. The mountain has tales of demons and evil spirits that live and lurk within it. These demons and spirits are always looking for human flesh to satisfy their desire for it. Oof. One of the most wicked spirits is that of the medicine man, known as the eater of flesh. The local tribe was so afraid of this man that they would offer him their sick and old members, hoping that it would appease his cravings for human flesh. Damn. I know. So he is still there, waiting and wanting, and will drag people who get too close to the mountains to their deaths. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Those who have approached the mountains have said that spectral hands pulled at them and shadows and ghosts have been seen. And it's not just humans who feel a presence or get a strange feeling here. Animals are said to be frightened of the mountain as well. Always trust your pets. Always trust the animals. Absolutely. And even pilots have reported that their navigational equipment acts up while flying overhead and that they experience an odd amount of turbulence. They have even experienced equipment failure. So many pilots were afraid of flying over this area that in 1991 it was tested for magnetic disturbances and radiation levels. 
All tests came back normal, only furthering their mystery of why planes act up while flying over. Man. I don't want anything to happen to me in a plane. I do not like flying. I am not a fan of flying. No, thank you. You know, sometimes if you just go onto every flight assuming you're probably going to die. <laughs> Mackenzie! <laughs> every flight is equal opportunity. Mackenzie and our friend Juliana and I were going to go visit our other friend Jesse in Japan. <laughs> no, which we is were a, not. <laughs> we were, but then COVID hit. But it's a long plane ride, so I told Mackenzie and Juliana, I said, take what you need, drink what you need, I will get you on that plane, and then I will drink and we'll make it to Japan all fine. I said okay, but I knew my ass was not getting on that plane. I was going to push you in a wheelchair if I needed to. You were getting you on that plane. You would have me. If that was what we needed to do, we would have done it. Okay. And then you would have been sleeping for like the whole plane ride and you would have woken up as we landed. That would be perfection. But sadly, we never got to do that because COVID. It is also believed that the many underground tunnels and labyrinths, uh, labyrinths underground hold alien bases, lost civilizations, ancient tombs, and even lost treasures. Ooh. These treasures are believed to range from gold, ancient texts, and historic artifacts. And those alien- Have they been found? I don't think so. I don't know. Have the mazes been found? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And these alien bases are believed to be the famed and infamous reptilian alien humanoids. Oh, my God. That was in an episode of Doctor Who. Oh. Well, they are um, said to keep slaves or keep humans as slaves down there. I mean, we probably deserve it after a while. And some people believe that those are the people who go missing. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. It is believed that a whole race of aliens are lurking just beneath the surface. The octopus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like I mentioned, we have demons and spirits who lurk down here, but there are also many beliefs of different strange animals who dwell in this area as well. One of those animals is a large python that is even oh. known to attack humans. But this could actually come from a place of truth. These mountains are home to many animals, some of those being the giant amethystine python, spotted python, and carpet python, among many other snakes. The Queensland tiger is also said to stalk these mountains. It has been blamed for cattle maulings and mutilations. It is said to look it's like just a hungry. Yeah, <laughs> it is said to look like a large striped cat, similar to our. A tiger is a large striped cat. It's said to look like one, similar to a marsupial lion. And marsupial lions have been extinct for twenty thousand years. Wow, that's what they were getting at, Mackenzie. <laughs> So I watched, okay, I watched a video. Look, it was, you can't be sarcastic with third graders, so it's just all built building up. up. <laughs> so I watched this video. It was embedded in one of the links that I found, so it's in the page that's going to be in our notes if anyone wants to watch it. I don't know if he was being serious, but I will mention another creature that he talked about. So he believed that a creature from Aboriginal mythology is lurking around the mountains, but that there are many of them living in the mountains. That creature is the bunyip, which actually translates to devil or evil spirit. A Wikipedia page I found describes the bunyip as an amphibious beast, almost entirely aquatic. It is said to live in different watery environments, so slightly different from the mountain, but there is water around it. In the article, it said that it usually has two main descriptions. The article said that the description of the bunyip usually falls into two main categories. 60% of sightings say it resembles a seal or a swimming dog, usually between 4 to 6 feet long with shaggy black or brown fur. It has a round head, no tail, prominent ears, and then whiskers like what you'd see on a seal or otter. Sounds cute. I know you love your otters. I love my otters. 20% say it is a long-necked creature with a small head. Uh, these ones are said to be between 5 to 15 feet long with black or brown fur, oh. large... Yeah, large ears, small tusks, an elongated head like a horse or emu, 
a maned neck that stretches about three feet, a lot of folds of skin. I know. I have that in my notes. Ew. (laughs) And a horse-like tail. So that still leaves 20%. So maybe that is the category that the guy from the video's description falls into. He describes the bunyip as a giant teddy bear with really bad breath. (laughs) So this is the part that made me skeptical about his video. He said that Elizabeth Taylor, a British and American actress, had once visited these mountains. She needed inspiration for a new perfume line she was working on. She learned that the mountains are often referred to as the Black Diamonds, so this inspired her to name her perfume White Diamonds. Some say that the perfume has a striking resemblance in smell to the Bunyip's awful breath. Damn. But since her visit, apparently not a single person has gone missing. The video says that not a single person has gone missing because Elizabeth Taylor took the Bunyip home with her to continue making her perfume so it is no longer roaming around the mountains taking people. I mean... It was quite a weird claim. It is. It is a very weird claim. But it's not like it doesn't make sense. (laughs) It just might not be logical. Technically, it makes sense. Technically, it makes sense. So one of the most odd phenomena of this place, though, is the large number of disappearances, which is why the mountain is sometimes referred to as Queensland's Bermuda Triangle. The Queensland Department of Environment and Resource Management also talked about how stories are present from the European colonists, as well as the Aboriginal legends that talk about horses and whole mobs of cattle disappearing into the labyrinth of rocks, never to be seen again. Oh, wow. The website for that long department name also says, quote, beneath the outer boulders lies a maze of passages and chambers, enticing the explorers of unusual places or those wishing to hide away from pursuers. In the ink-dark interior, sheer drops, pockets of bad air, or unexpected encounters with snakes or bats could easily cause panic and injury to intruders entering that eerie underworld. So it sounds reminiscent of H.H. Holmes, his murder castle, Mm. which you can hear more about in our Illinois episode. Hint, hint. Wherever you get your podcast. <laughs> Wherever you get your podcast. So this website advises visitors to stay away and not venture to the mountain due to the dangers it houses. Obviously, there are original stories and legends of people disappearing before the Europeans arrived, but the first modern account of a disappearance came in 1872 or 1877, depending on which source you read. Mm-hmm. There was a carrier, someone who transports documents and such, named Grainer. He was the best carrier in the area. In July of either 1872 or 77, he was on his way to Palmer River. That night, three of his horses escaped or a stray calf was seen heading in the direction of the mountains. Grainer mounted one of his non-escaped horses and took off after the other animals towards the mountain. After not having returned for over three hours, his other carrier friends were alarmed, so they rode off in the same direction looking for him and calling his name, but they never got an answer back. As they neared the mountains, they noticed Grainer's horse just eating some grass at the base of it. A search was conducted, but no traces of any kind were found. When nothing turned up, it was assumed that all three had fallen into one of the chasms between the boulders. So Mm. him, his horse, whatever they were looking for. Yeah. But an aboriginal tracker said that it was as if the earth had opened up and swallowed Grainer whole. Oh, wow. Others believe it may have been the work of the Devil Devil. And the Devil Devil sounds like Devil Devil. Devil 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 this, Devil that, Devil Devil this, Devil that, Devil Devil this, that. Well, this one's talking about the Devil Devil. (laughs) (laughs) In aboriginal beliefs, it is an evil spirit. So sometimes they are thought to be small, little, hairy men who take children if they go out after 4 p.m. or just make people disappear in general. Why 4 p.m.? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) This belief in little spirits making people disappear is actually a common belief among many different groups and in many different areas and cultures. Then, just a few years later, there was another unexplained disappearance. A notorious criminal named Sugarfoot Jack and some of his accomplices were involved in a shootout and fled to the Black Mountains. An exhaustive search was conducted, but no traces were found, and the men were never seen again. It was as if they had just vanished. Thirteen years after Sugarfoot Jack went missing, another strange disappearance occurred. 
A man named Ryan, who was a constable in the nearby Cook town, was following a fugitive along with a few other men. He tracked the fugitive to the Black Mountains and continued to track that criminal all the way to the mouth of a cave where the trail abruptly ended. At that point, just let the guy go. Sorry. <laughs> move that. I have okay. this glass giraffe that I love, and Mackenzie was holding it, and I said, don't clink it. Your rings will clink. And she goes, I'm just holding it. And the one day that I've worn the least amount of rings I think I've ever <laughs> worn at one time. You're clinking. I'm clinking. Uh, so the trail ended, and it was as if the fugitive had just disappeared right off the face of the earth. So Constable Ryan entered the cave to try to find the man Why? he was looking like, for. That, it, is it really that serious of a crime? He wanted to get this fugitive. I don't know. He went inside but never came back out, according to those men who had been with him. Neither Ryan nor the fugitive he had been looking for were ever seen again. In 1892, a man named Jimmy Wren went missing. He had planned to go out looking for gold. He and a friend were staying at Joyce Hotel near Cooktown. They started on their gold hunting journey and eventually stopped at a cavern near Creek for a break. Jimmy was ready to continue on after the rest, but his friend had been drinking and just wasn't ready yet. So the two decided to split up, with Jimmy going ahead and his friend hanging back until he was ready. They planned to meet up at a hotel a few days later, the Helen Bale Hotel. A few hotel. days later? Yeah, I guess to do the whole trail or whatever. Their gold hunting expedition. People back then lived tough. Well, the friend arrived a few days later, but Jimmy was nowhere to be found. Immediately, a search began with Inspector Fitzgerald leading the investigation. The investigation and search went on, but Jimmy was never found. No trace. Absolutely nothing. With no other explanation, Fitzgerald believed that Jimmy's disappearance had to have been intentional, but everyone who knew Jimmy knew that wasn't possible. He was a well-liked guy, so no other theories were ever able to come forward. So somewhere between Treventhal and Helenvale, in only an area of a couple miles, Jimmy completely disappeared and was never heard from, seen, or found. Hmm. And yet another man named Harry Owens went missing in November of 1882. Harold Owens was a farmer and a well-known settler in the Oakey Creek District. On Sunday morning in November, Harry went to his farm, only to find out some of his horses had gotten out, so he set off to go find them. On his search for the horses, he was seen by a carrier heading towards a mountain, but that was the last time he was seen or heard from. Police, trackers, and hundreds of friends and family set out to search for Harry in the mountains and the area around the mountain. After about a month of searching, still no trace had been found. Right as their search for Harry was coming to a close, another man named George Hawkins went missing. He had gone to the mountain to see if the area around the mountain would be good for feeding his cattle. He knew that people had disappeared around the mountain, but he didn't really think much of it. Mm. Mm. He was seen traveling on Palmer River Road and had even spoken to someone who was traveling on the road as well. That person then saw Hawkins leave the road and ride towards the mountain, never to be seen again. The search started up again for Hawkins. Two officers decided to search inside one of the caves, so they both made their way into the mountain, but only one came out. When the officer emerged, reports say he was so rattled and terrified by whatever he had witnessed that he was unable to give a coherent report of what had happened in that cave. Hmm. Again, no trace at all was ever found of Hawkins or the other officer. There had been no evidence of foul play and no evidence of any animal interference. It was as if they had just up and vanished. The official verdict was that Owens and Hawkins disappeared at Black Mountain. What if it's like the portal to another dimension? And Ooh. When they hit a certain spot, that's why it just poof is gone. Oh, that would be so cool. I'm telling you. That would be cool. That would be cool. So that was like the official verdict. But the natives' verdict was that, quote, they were eaten up altogether by the Dibble Dibble. Then, in the 1920s, two professional cave explorers decided that they would venture into the cave to see if they could figure out the logical reason behind all of these disappearances. They went missing. Some trackers went to go find <laughs> the explorers. They also went missing. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's like... It's also it, like... It's like, come on. The definition of insanity. Right. <laughs> in 1932, a man named Harry Page was hiking in the mountains and went missing. Not long after, though, he was found dead. His cause of death was unknown. 
So other than Paige, who was the only one whose body was found, Mm -hmm. no traces of any of those who have gone missing have ever been found, even after extensive search efforts. An official theory about these disappearances is that the mountain simply swallowed up those who have gone missing. An official theory. As in they fell into caves, crevices, or chasms that litter the mountain. Or just became hopelessly lost. That's what they mean by swallowed up. We should go. We should go. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To see if my theory is right, because my theory sounds pretty cool. It does. But then we'd be in an alternate dimension. And that'd be kind of scary. What if it's better than this one? (laughs) (laughs) Where we have more rights and things like that. There's just a lot of things that could be better. There are a lot of things. There's like so many things. I can think of like five off the top of my head. Off just an easy (laughs) list. So if we ever have a lot of money. (laughs) Big if. A big if. Huge if. Mm-hmm. Um, we should see if I'm right. Here, I have a plan. Oh my god, I have a plan. Okay. okay. We'll get one of those phones, the one where it's like a can and there's a string oh, connected. Oh yeah, I did that and, with my kids. Yeah, and you go through where we think the portal is. I'll be on the other side. And then if you do go to an alternate dimension, we can talk. Because other like electronics might not work. Mm. But a can string thing can't fail. Unless it's in the vacuum of space and there's no sound in space because things there's nothing for matter to. But then you would die because you wouldn't be able to breathe. Right. So you wouldn't know where I was. You should just come with me. No, (laughs) I am too scared of that. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I think my idea sounds really cool. I like your idea the best so far. So there have been a few who have escaped with their lives. One Bushman went to the mountains armed with a pistol and flashlight and was able to retell his experience. He said, quote, I stepped into the opening like other Black Mountain caves. It dipped steeply downwards, narrowing as it went. Suddenly, I found myself facing a solid wall of rock, but to the right, there was a passageway just large enough for me to enter in a stooping position. I moved along it carefully for several yards. The floor was fairly level, the walls of very smooth granite. The passage twisted and turned this way and that, always sloping deeper into the earth. Presently, I began to feel uneasy. A huge bat beat its wings against me as it passed, however, I forced myself on to push further. Soon, my nostrils were filled with a sickly, musty stench. Then my torch went out. I was in total darkness. From somewhere that seemed the bowels of the earth, I could hear a faint moaning, which was then followed by the flapping of wings of thousands of bats. I began to panic as I groped and floundered back the way I thought I had come. My arms and legs were bleeding from bumps with unseen rocks. My outstretched hands clawed at space. I expected solid walls and floors, but could not find it. At one stage where I had wandered into a side passage, I came to the brink of what was undoubtedly a precipice judging by the echoes. The air was foul, and I felt increasing dizziness. Terrifying thoughts were racing through my mind about giant rock pythons I had seen around the mountain. As I crawled along, getting weaker and losing hope of ever coming out alive, I saw a tiny streak of light. It gave me super strength to worm my way towards a small cave mouth half a mile from the one I had entered. Reaching the open air, I gulped in lungfuls of it and fell down exhausted. I later found that I had been underground for five hours, most of the time on my hands and knees. A king's ransom would not induce me to enter those caves again. Okay, new idea. (laughs) Which I don't know why 2022, we should have this technology right now. You know, we put trackers and stuff on animals mm. all the time. And so if there's bats and stuff in there. Put it on a bat. Put it on a bat. Because they have like their echolocation and such. Mm-hmm. Put like a GoPro on I that. was just thinking like a mini GoPro. Yep. Night vision. Mm-hmm. Of course. An and then, because clearly they're doing just fine in there. Yeah. So instead of people, you know, disappearing and dying. Just use the bat. Just use the bat. So another encounter from 2001 comes from a man named Ivan. 
Ivan and his buddy Danny decided to camp at the bottom of Black Mountain, which was said to be that taboo area. As they were setting up their tents and camps, they noticed that it was silent. Absolutely silent. So no animals making noises, nothing. Which is very unusual in the outback. Unusual anywhere. The two men went to sleep anyways, but were awoken shortly after by the sound of rocks crumbling, as if something were slowly moving the rocks out of the way as it emerged from the mountain. Then they heard footsteps, which kept getting louder and louder, closer and closer. Danny and Ivan were convinced it was a human man, and Danny was over it. He ran outside as fast as he could, hoping that would scare the person away. Ivan followed closely behind with his flashlight. But what they saw in front of them was no man. What they saw in front of them was a big black mass slowly making its way towards the men. Then it just evaporated, and right when it did, all of the typical outback noises returned. The two men quickly got out of there. It may be easier to explain why some people have gone missing and have never been found, though. The mountains have many, many crevices, caves, passages, and other dangerous obstacles. So it's very likely that some of those who are missing fell into one of these obstacles, getting lost, hurt, and even dying. Or they're in another dimension. Or they're in another dimension, obviously. Those that have been in the mountains and made it out say that the inside of the caves are unpredictable and complex. They are full of sudden drops, unstable footing, sharp walls and boulders, and rocks that shift and drop unexpectedly. Those who have come out have said that they themselves have felt confused, lost, and panicked while inside. Cooktown-based historian Bev Shea believes that Black Mountain is no supernatural place, but that all of the weird things surrounding it, especially the disappearances, can be explained. She says that lack of swimming skills, alcohol, crocodiles, foul play, a large area, and poor communication all combine to make disappearances more common. I mean, she's not wrong, but yeah, that's not the fun story. Yeah, I, she's like, she was like, oh yeah, there's all this speculation and imagination, and that's why we think that like mobs and cows have disappeared. And she goes, but there's really none of it's true. Okay, but here's here's always my thing. While there might not be any proof that it is true, there's no proof that it's not true. I love it. So another weird fact, there are apparently many black mountains located all over the world, and each are linked with strange disappearances. Hmm. So this video I listened to. It is how the octopus got here. Ding, ding, ding. It is like they're, you know, I don't know. Wasn't it in like the Transformers movies or something where there was like certain places around the world that were like, you know, satellites, antennas, something. Something. Maybe all of the Black Mountains, I don't know, <laughs> send up a signal. Or maybe when it was Pangea and everything was all one big continent, maybe the oh, – we should look at a map and figure out where the Black mm. Mountains are and see if it makes, like, a circular shape or it's something. down. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. It's, like, down towards the bottom of Australia or at the top. You just said it was all over the world. Oh, like the Black Mountains. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if they connect, that would be awesome. So this video I watched, he said that a woman from Virginia disappeared at the Black Mountains in Wise County on November 30th, 1908. Uh, there we, that's here. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So we said Virginia. I said, what? <laughs> so apparently there's some Black Mountains in Virginia. I always pass Wise Virginia when I drive down to Radford. So yeah. So other Black Mountains have also reported many different disappearances as well. But if your eager heart really wants to see these mountains, Mackenzie, there is a lookout off the road only a short distance away, where you can enjoy the sights of Black Mountain away from the creepy, unexplained, and scary nature of the mountain itself. We'll start there. We will start there. Mm -hmm. And then if we feel brave enough, which we will not, we will walk there. But it sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So yeah, those are the Black Mountains. Wow. All right, Mackenzie, what are you telling us about Queensland, Australia? Alrighty. So today, unfortunately, I bring you a sad story from Australia. This story discusses domestic violence, abuse, and suicide, so please be advised and do what is best for you. 
I came across the tragic story of Hannah Clark. The more that I read about this woman and her story and her bravery, I knew that it was one that I needed to tell. Uh, once I saw that her family had started a foundation in her name that sealed the deal, and it was something that I wanted to share with y'all today. Because we do like our cases where it goes towards a good cause. Absolutely. So I will share more on how you can support the foundation at the end of the story. Also, the more that I go into sto- into the story, the more me and Lauren will most likely be saying, fuck, fuck the patriarchy, Ugh. men suck, we hate men, etc. So, but if you're a good man, <laughs> then you know that these things don't apply to you. If you get upset or offended, maybe you need to take a look at how you're treating people. The all men thing. Mm. Hmm. Um, and so before we begin, though, in Australia, the crisis support service lifeline is on 131114. And the National Family Violence Counseling Service is on 1-800-737-732. In the UK, Samaritans can be contacted on 116-123. And the domestic abuse hotline is 0808-2247. In the U.S., the suicide prevention lifeline. Oh, this might be old because it changed now, didn't it? The- you can text now, I think. Oh, oh okay. isn't it like four? No. It was like four digits or three yeah, digits. Like yeah. 999, I think. Something like that. We can we can look and we'll post all of these numbers too in like the um, show notes. Yeah. But in case this is also still a number, 1-800-273-8255, and the domestic violence hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE-7233. Other international helplines can be found at www.befrienders.org. Yes, so we'll add all of that. And I'll probably share it again at the end. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So if you need to skip ahead, now's the time to do so. Hannah Clark was born on September 8th, 1988. She had a brother, Nathaniel, and it was unclear where exactly she was born. However, she ended up in Queensland. A couple years after Hannah graduated, she met her husband, Rowan Baxter. Baxter was a former rugby player from, the New-, from New Zealand who was 11 years older than Hannah. Soon after the two had met, Baxter proposed to Hannah that same year, and they were married by 2012. Together, they had three children and were together about 10 years. The oldest was Aaliyah, six, and is described as being strong and bright. Next was Leanna four they would sometimes call her little middle but her grandmother described her as a little dynamo and last was trey three who lit up his mother's world he was a mama's boy through and through oh this is already making me sad yeah doesn't get better any descriptions like this is always like oh no yeah hannah loved her children more than anything hannah was described as being full of life smart and cared deeply for others her mother would describe her as a beautiful soul as wonderful as she was hannah was married to and living with a man who showed, quote, love in possessive mm. and controlling ways. Oh, I hate it already. Mm-hmm. Rowan Baxter looked at a wife as a person who either cleans or to be a sex worker. I changed the word of, that they used. Mm-hmm. But you get the idea. Um, because I'm not going to disrespect women like he did. And yeah, that word's not, you know, mm-hmm. really used anymore. It's ridiculous because I'm like, don't shame the person who has the job. Yeah. You're not going to shame the person who's paying for it. And I've talked to my mom about this too. Like it could be a fine job if everything's just like clean and then it would be safer for the women. Exactly. And it's also like ridiculous that they would not be doing this job if someone wasn't paying for it. Mm -hmm. Yet no one thinks to say, hey, yeah, maybe, you know, yeah, stupid. There's a lot. You know what? But you know, if, if you want to do that, more power to you. Mm-hmm. I was on TikTok once and I saw a stripper in Vegas made $33,000 in one weekend. 
Thursday to Sunday. God. Wow. That's like what I make in a year. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in the wrong profession. (laughs) Anyway. Family members describe Baxter as being misogynist, who would even put fear into his family members. He had this, quote, dangerous sense of possession over Hannah and their children. Baxter had been married prior to marrying Hannah. He shared with Hannah that he had told his previous wife that if she ever tried to leave him, then he would end his life and the life of their child. Oh, my God. I didn't see more on this previous relationship or this child. Hopefully, no visitation from him. Yeah. Hopefully, there's no more on them because they're just fine living their life somewhere. Being possessive, controlling, and abusive was not new to Baxter. His behavior would even seep outside of his marriage. Pastor Christopher Ensby knew the couple from the gym they both frequented. It was unclear if the couple attended the church, but the pastor was close with them. Okay. I'm assuming, based on what they told him, I think it'd be pretty weird if they just went to the gym together. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) Well, you become close with your gym people. True. Shout out to my gym people. Yeah, but no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Enough for Hannah to to confide in him about the troubles in their marriage. Ensby would see Baxter training people to the point of vomiting. He described him as a, quote, alpha male with controlling and paranoid behaviors. Oh, we love the alpha male. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Baxter controlled everything about Hannah's life. She could not do anything without her husband's approval. He decided what she could and could not wear, when and where she went, and who she was allowed to see. It makes me so sad when this happens to women. Because it's not like, no woman is like, oh, I just want the guy to decide everything for me. Like, something happens, and it just, before you know it, this is what's happening, and there's no way to get safely get out of it. I did read, as I was reading through um, this case, I believe it was her mom was saying that when they first got together... He's very charismatic. Mm-hmm. Whole family loved him. Always are. She was a little weary, but he seemed to win the heart of everybody. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until they had their first daughter Ugh. that that's when a switch flipped. I hate that. Yeah. So. And I hate to say it this way, but a lot of times it's like they have, they get their wife pregnant and then they're like, well, you're with me now. Yep. Exactly. He would constantly insult Hannah and put her down. He would demand sex from her every day, but then also call her a fat pig. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hannah's mother shared that he told Hannah uh, she was not allowed to wear shorts or the color pink because it was, quote, for children. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't even let his own children win any games that he played with them. In true misogynist fashion, and for those of you that may need a refresher on this term, Google stated it in simple terms, a person who dislikes, despises, or is strongly prejudiced against women, also known as a bachelor and renowned misogynist, Synonyms, women hater, anti-feminist, male chauvinist, male supremacist, chauvinist, sexist, male chauvinist pig. Oh. MCP for short. Oh. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Also, side note, there's going to be parts where I read things from the articles I found. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read some of the captions on the pictures because the stark difference between the journalism over there versus here oh like the way like i mean there was no making it seem like baxter was any sort of good person oh good i'll have to find it but it was basically being like you know deceptively looking like he loved his children or something like that okay (laughs) love that it was wild what we need here right because it's like stop making the bad guys nice at any point right like there's a time for not having bias and Mm -hmm. then there's a time for calling out things that are wrong Mm -hmm. absolutely so 
Baxter certainly did not believe in the golden rule. His own cousin reported to the media that a fa- at a family barbecue, she saw that Baxter was sending hundreds of texts to other women. Hannah may have even known about her husband's infidelities. Aww. Unfortunately, Hannah did not see herself as a victim of domestic abuse. She told her closest friend, Manja Whaley, that Baxter had never hit her. Another close friend of Hannah's, Nicole Brooks, shared that Hannah told her of times when Baxter would choke her when he was, quote, full of adrenaline after a jujitsu class and telling her, you have no idea what I'm capable of. Ew! Mm-hmm. I think the saddest thing I read was from her first friend um, had made this really long Facebook post. Aww. And, you know, Hannah never thought of herself as a victim because he didn't hit her because it doesn't fall into what you think immediately mm-hmm. when you think of domestic abuse exactly but then you don't think of all the other types of abuse there are it's not yeah. just physical exactly there's financial emotional psychological and he did all of that all financial of that. psychological emotional all that yeah in 2019 hannah knew she needed to leave her husband she knew that her life and her children's lives were not safe as one can imagine in a situation like this not only is it very difficult for a victim to leave But it is stories like this one that hopefully can help people understand why leaving is so difficult. Mm -hmm. Leaving Baxter was no easy task. Hannah and her three children moved into her parents' home in Camp Hill. Baxter was still able to see his children. After an altercation between Baxter and Hannah, their oldest daughter, Aaliyah, once yelled at her father to not come back. Oh. The reason behind their argument is not known. Aaliyah stopped answering her father's FaceTime calls or would come up with some reason to get off the phone quickly. Reminder, Aaliyah is six. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Baxter had to settle for FaceTime with his children because on Boxing Day in 2019, December 26th, for those of you that don't know, because I didn't, he kidnapped their middle child, Liana. They had disappeared for two days before she was found by police and returned to her mother. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Baxter was served with a protection order and was no longer able to see his children. Good. And I feel like that's not going to do anything. No. Hannah had offered Baxter 165 days a year with his children. Baxter refused. And in January of 2020, the protection order was changed to allow Baxter to see his children again. Okay. That access was revoked again when Baxter breached the protection order and tried to break Hannah's wrist. Hannah confided in friends and family that she was afraid for her life. She began to ask people how you make a will, and if something happened to her, what would happen to her children? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really sad. Family members of Baxter were living in fear for even reaching out for helping Hannah after their sep- uh, their separation. A cousin of Baxter's shared that Baxter would continuously walk past her store, which was also located in the same place that Hannah worked. Mm-hmm. On February 13th, one of Hannah's closest friends reported to police that Baxter was going to hurt Hannah. The police told her there was nothing they could do until he did something, to which Hannah's friend replied. See, I hate that. Yes. That is the stupidest thing. Yes. Because Hannah's friend said, but what if you don't get a second chance? Yes. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. So their laws over there seem very similar to this, like, kind of how it is over here. Yes. But once I get kind of through the main event, Mm -hmm. the thing that is different about Australia, which is very interesting, Mm -hmm. that we definitely don't do here, we should start. Okay. (laughs) Start a petition. Okay. So on the days leading up to February 19th, Baxter was seen buying zip ties, cleaning fluid, and fuel. He also bought three chocolate bars, thought to be for his children. The original idea was that he was going to kidnap Hannah, kill her, and then keep his children and give them chocolate. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, very equal 
equal things there. Mm -hmm. The story I'm about to share is a compilation of witness statements about what happened on that day. At one point in my story, I'll be sharing a recorded conversation between Hannah and a police officer. The story may have some graphic details and does discuss suicide. On the morning of February 19th, 2020, Hannah Clark, formerly Baxter, was leaving her parents' home to drive her children to school. Hannah barely made it out of driveway before Rowan Baxter, her abusive ex-husband, ambushed her and jumped into her car. Baxter demanded that Hannah drive, and when she refused, he began to pour gasoline, petrol, all over Hannah and inside the car. Hannah shouted to a neighbor who was outside their home, Call the police! Call the police! He's trying to kill me! He's put petrol on me! Michael Zemick was washing his car when he turned to see Baxter pouring gasoline in the car. Mr. Zemick ran to the car to better understand what was occurring. He could see Baxter holding Hannah in a tight bear hug. He could hear her screaming from inside the car. When Mr. Zemick got to the passenger side window, Baxter lit his family aflame. <gasps> oh, the kids were in the back already? Mm-hmm. Mr. Zemick recounted the moment, quote, It was just a bang of blackness sort of hit my face. I sort of turned my head around briefly. When I came to look up, the whole of the inside front was ablaze. Jeez. Somehow Hannah managed to get out of the car. She was screaming for people to help save her children. Mr. Zemick could hardly even tell where, that there were children in the car. Mm. Hannah was pleading for someone to save her children. My babies are in the car. Why didn't I just stay in the car with them? Saying to Mr. Zemick, I didn't save my kids. I couldn't save my kids. Samantha Convey was driving her children to swim practice when she saw the car in flames. She saw Hannah lying in the grass, severely burned. She could hear her saying, my kids, someone get my kids. Hannah's entire focus was on her children, not once expressing concern for herself. She told Miss Convey, I can't believe he's done this. I've got a DVO, which I'm assuming is the protection Oh, like the order. protective thing. I'm sure if I Google that, I could probably figure out what DVO stood for, but I didn't. Domestic violence order, maybe? That's what I was thinking. Something. something along those lines, but the DVO protection order, same thing. Okay. I can't believe he's done this. Where are my babies? Where are my kids? How could he do this? That's my babies in there. Mrs. Convey went to try to extinguish the flames. Baxter, who had severe burns, had reached back into the car to retrieve his knife. Carrie Fernandez and neighbor- Oh, so he wasn't in the car when he lit it. No, he was. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dumbass. Yeah. Yeah, he was in the car. Okay. Because he was holding her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Carrie Fernandez, a neighbor, ran to the car to try and put out the flames with a fire extinguisher. Miss Fernandez said that it seemed that Baxter was almost guarding the car, ensuring his children would die. Oh, my God. Fernandez said, I felt like he was almost guarding the car, she said. He was not wanting me to put the fire out, and it felt as if if I went to the right side, he'd follow me there. If I went to the left side, he'd follow me there. Miss Fernandez did not even notice that Baxter was holding a knife. Another neighbor, Reese Gourlay, ran to warn others about the knife. Sarah Tranberg, who also lived close by, was begging Baxter to drop his knife. Baxter uh, was burned on 80% of his body. Good. Mm-hmm. Soon after, Baxter turned the knife on himself and stabbed himself in the heart. <gasps> he died that day on the side of the road, not far from where he lit his family on fire. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. When oh, my par- God. And that way, too. I know. Yeah, I don't know. When paramedics arrived, they knew the fate of Hannah Clark was a grim one. She had severe burns on 97% of her body. Oh. The only part that wasn't burned was the bottom of her feet. Oh, jeez. The paramedics tried to reassure her as much as they could. Hannah was still concerned for her children. They did what they could to relieve some of her pain. Senior Constable Angus Skeynes was among the first responders who told of Hannah's incredible bravery and ability to share details of what occurred that day, saying, quote, It was just amazing the things she was able to tell me and how much she was able to help us. Not even at a normal job, people are so worked up they can't even get those details out. 
So I am going to read the audio from his body camera. The following is the transcript from Senior Constable Angus Gaines body cam audio on the day Hannah Clark and her children were killed. He arrived at the scene where he spoke with Miss Clark, who had been horrifically injured after being doused in petrol and set alight. Hannah Clark. My ex-husband, he got he got in the Constable Skeins. What's your ex-husband's name? Hannah. Rowan Baxter. Constable. Rowan Baxter? Hannah. There's there's a protection order against him. He got in, we got in the car to go to school, and he jumped in the front seat with me and had a jerry can. And then I saw this gentleman. Constable. What's Rowan's middle name? Hannah. Charles. Constable. So Rowan jumped in the car and lit it on fire. Interference from police radio. Hannah. With the jerry can. And then and then I saw this gentleman, this gentleman locking the car. And um, I asked him to call the police. Please. Interference from police radio. And then he just, he poured petrol everywhere and just lit the car. Constable. Okay, what's your, Hannah. And my three kids. Constable, what's your surname? Hannah. It's in the computer. It's under Clark. C-L-A-R-K-E. And your first name? Hannah. And your middle name, Hannah? Ashley. L-E-I-G-H. A-S-H-L-I-E. What did you say your middle name was, Ashley? Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. You're doing amazing, actually. Um, Hannah, what did you say your middle name was? Hannah. What was that? Ashley. Constable. Ashley. A-S-H. Hannah. L-I-E. Clark. C-L-A-R-K-E. Yeah. So I'm just trying to, or it might be under Baxter even, and you're at Camp Hill, okay? Yeah, just up the road. Yeah, Romeo 481. I've got the details of the suspect for this. Don't know if anyone's passed that on yet. Negative, go ahead. I'll load them in. That was from the radio. Constable, surname's Baxter. First name, Rowan. Charles, middle name, 9th of the 5th, 1977. Speaking to one of the victims here, she said he's hopped in the car with the children, told her to drive, poured petrol in the car, and then lit it on fire with the three children in the car. Unknown direction. Haven't gotten description of clothing yet. I'll do that now. Radio. Okay, 481. So he's decamped, has he? I don't know what that means. Constable. So what was Rowan wearing? Hannah. I don't even know. Maybe a singlet and shorts, but his shorts on the ground, so I think he's ripped it off. Okay, okay. Hannah, can you go through as much detail? I know it's very hard. Just tell me from the very start again. Hannah. Yeah, we jumped in the car to go to school. Constable. Where did you jump in that car? Address redacted. Up the road. Mm-hmm. Constable. Yeah, and then what happened? I turned the car on. Yeah. And then you jumped in the front seat and I started to scream. Yeah. And then he just told me to drive. Okay. He said, all I wanted to do is see my children. Constable. Yeah. Hannah. And I just said, no, no, get out, get out. And he said, you need to drive. And he had a jerry can. Yeah. In his hand. Yeah. He just told me to drive. So I started driving. And then I saw this gentleman washing his car and I pulled over and said, please call the police. Please call the police. And then he just, sorry, no, go, yep, Queensland Ambulance Service. Hannah, I'm just going to give you some pain relief. Hannah, poured petrol everywhere and lit the car alight. Constable, okay. Whereabouts? How far did you drive to get here? Like, it's just up the road. Sorry. Ambulance Service. No, you're right. You're right. Keep going. We're getting IV access. Constable, yeah, no problem. Was he living at your house in the time? Hannah, we've got, we've got, um, we've got a protection order. Constable, and what was the last time you saw him? Um, he had FaceTimed the kids last night, but the last time I saw him in person, maybe a week ago. Okay, and had he done anything threatening previously? 
Yeah, um, not to me, no. No, has he hurt you previously? He tried to break my wrist two weeks ago. Constable, okay, did the police know that? Hannah, yes. Okay, and that's what, so the Karina police know everything. Yep, no, that's perfect. Okay, do you know where he's living? Redacted. Okay, no problem, I'll leave you with the ambulance officers now. And the person who kind of ran the trial, which I'll get into later, said that had he lived, that would have been enough to... Good. Yeah. So, sorry for the awkward back and forth, <laughs> but I just want to make sure people knew who was talking. But imagine someone who has burns on 97% of their body, and that's the conversation she has. Yeah. She's spelling her name. Yeah. She's giving descriptions. She's telling addresses. Like... Has a lot of wherewithal yeah. for everything that's going on. Absolutely amazing. I was just... Wow. Just wow. Unfortunately, Hannah Clark died the next day at the hospital. Aww. So in Australia, there are court proceedings called inquests. An inquest is a, quote, court hearing conducted by the coroner to gather information about the cause and circumstances of a death. Okay. An inquest isn't a trial and there is no jury. It's not <laughs> about deciding whether a person is guilty of an offense or civilly liable. Mm-hmm. Inquests are not a formal court hearing. They're a way for the coroner to gather more evidence and information on the cause of death. Once the inquest is concluded, the coroner shares their findings and even advises on policies such as public health or safety in order to avoid the situation from happening again. Oh, wow. The reasons a coroner can call for an inquest are very few investigations precede an inquest. However, an inquest must be held if the death occurred in custody. I'm assuming of police. Yeah. Death occurred while the person was in was in care and there are issues about the care. Death occurred as a result of police operations unless the coroner considers an inquest isn't needed. Attorney General directs that an inquest be held. State coroner orders an inquest to be held. Or district court upholds an appeal against a coroner's decision not to hold an inquest. Okay. A coroner may, and this is the best part, a coroner may also hold an inquest if it is in the public's interest to do so. They may decide that there is a significant doubt about the cause and circumstances of death or believe an inquest may prevent future deaths or uncover systematic issues that affect public health and safety. Interesting. Which brings us to the inquest of Hannah Clark, which is how I got all this information. Oh. Because I kept saying inquest, and when I realized that the husband died, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, what What are they – Yeah. How is this all coming about? Yeah. But, like, why would there be a trial? Right. Exactly. Deputy State Coroner Jane Bentley called for the inquest into the murder of Hannah Clark and her three children. At the end of the inquest, Jane Bentley shared her recommendations, calling for more training, police stations to have support workers and lawyers to assist families, and specialists in domestic violence. Bentley stated, I often say we have to start responding to the red flags before more blue police tape surrounds the family home. Dang. Mm -hmm. So what I thought was interesting was that, you know, she, like, and there's more specifics in the article I read about Mm -hmm. what she was exactly calling for. I just kind of summed it up. Yeah. But I just found it interesting that this, she could, in Australia, for public health reasons, like domestic violence is an issue that's not just... In Australia, it is all over the world. Yeah. To be able to bring light to it and say, this is what needs to be done to fix it. Wow. So it's almost like you can't say, well, we don't know. We don't know what to do. Like, yeah. Someone is giving you the information you need in order to help prevent this from happening again. Yep. So I did not want to leave this story on a sad note. In March of 2020, Hannah's family started Small Steps for Hannah. And I'm going to read a little bit about that. So the 
homepage on the website says, together we can halt domestic and family violence. The small four steps for Hannah Foundation, and that's the number four, Mm -hmm. by the way, exists to halt this cycle of domestic violence so that everyone can feel respected, informed, confident to act, and safe. With your help, we will work to halt H, Hannah, A, Aaliyah, L, Leani, T, Trey. Aww. Domestic and family violence. The mur- oh my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The murder of Hannah Clark and her children was a line in the sand moment in Australia. A moment when our community came together and said that where domestic and family violence is concerned, enough is enough. Of course, for Lloyd, Sue, and Nat Clark, it was much more than that. On that fateful day of Feb- in February 2020, the Clark family lost four beautiful souls in the worst circumstances. In their quest to honor Hannah, Aaliyah, Leani, and Trey, and to ensure that no family should endure this pain again, the Clark family have started a movement for change. Small steps for Hannah to put a halt to the incidences and severity of domestic and family violence in Australia. Through small steps for Hannah, it is the hope of the Clark family to harness the collective desire of all of us to make positive changes required to halt domestic and family violence and take the steps required to do it. Small steps that will eventually be giant leaps forward. Oh, it gets even better. So, in addition to that, in May of this year, a property developer teamed up with the foundation to build Hannah's Sanctuary, which will be a housing development that helps victims of domestic violence. So, women and children are trying to That's awesome. escape. They have the safe place to That's go. That's awesome. I think I read somewhere that it can hold nine families. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It said townhouse, and then when I heard nine families, I said, clearly their definition of a townhouse... Is different from ours. And I wasn't... I got things from all over the place, and then I lost where I found certain things, and I couldn't <laughs> find it again, so some of this is from my memory. Okay. Um, And so I'm... At first, I thought it was just one house, mm-hmm. but then it kind of sounded like it was a development, so it might be... So, like, you know how in college or whatever, you have one building. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I guess any townhouse, you have yeah. built one building, right. but there are townhouses in it. Exactly. Yeah. So, it might be something like that, but regardless of how it's set up, it's mm-hmm. a sanctuary or a safe place for people who are victims of domestic violence to go. Okay. While Hannah's story is a tragic one, hopefully her story can shed more light on domestic violence and helping victims. This is not just an issue in Australia. It is across the entire world. Mm -hmm. Take the time to better understand people's circumstances before assuming they could easily get out of an abusive relationship. While not every story ends like Hannah's did, her story is more common than some might think. Yeah. And I just want to read the hotlines one more time. So, in Australia, the Crisis Support Service Lifeline is on 13 11 14, and the National Family Violence Counseling Service is on 1-800-737-732. In the UK, Samaritans can be contacted on 116 123, and the Domestic Abuse Helpline is 0808-2247. In the US, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. And the domestic violence hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE or 7233. Other international helplines can be found at www.befrienders.org. And um, that other new suicide hotline number in the U.S. is 988. 988. And you can also text it. So is that like the new number or is that the one I read? I don't know. I just typed in suicide hotline in the U.S. and this is what came up. Okay. 988. Because I know I the purpose of making it shorter was so that... It says it has been designated as a new three-digit dialing code. Yeah. So... I feel like it's... Yeah. So there's... Easier. On this website, it shows that number that you just gave with a little arrow pointing to 988. 
Okay, cool. So, yeah. both work. So, if you or someone you know is a victim of domestic violence, then hopefully you can reach out to those resources and get the help that you need yes. and deserve. And like I said at the beginning, we'll post those in the show Absolutely. notes. Yep. Ugh. Well, um, and I'll post the website to uh, Hannah's foundation. There's definitely ways to donate. I don't know. I'm assuming that anyone in any part of the country can donate. I doubt it's like, I mean, money is money. I don't think it has to come from America, like Australia. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it'll be able to do some conversion or something or other. So I'm sure it's fine. And then you can read more about how to get involved, events going on. So if you are in the Queensland area, Mm -hmm. then you can find out more about it. If you're in the United States and just want to make a donation to help out from afar, you can do that as well. Yeah. Well, that was a very sad case. It was sad. And, I mean, no true crime case that we talk about is ever happy, Happy, so to speak. But I felt once I started to read more about it, and especially because she has this foundation Mm -hmm. and – you know, we hear about domestic violence all the time, but I still feel like it's, again, one of those situations that we have going on in this world where we say, yeah, it's a problem, and then... Don't do anything about it. Don't do anything about it. Well, yeah, if you so. can donate anything, that would be great. You can find all of these pages as well, all of the donation links at our website at a ascarystatepodcast.squarespace.com. Our social medias are Twitter, a scary state pod. Instagram and Facebook, A Scary State Podcast. And we won't go anymore because this is a long episode um, (laughs) other than please give us five stars on Spotify. Um, So I think that's all. So stay scary. Stay safe.